reading for today is going to be 1 John um, 4, 7 to 21. I'm screaming. Loving one another. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who, love he, who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world. So that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we love God, but that he love us and send his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God love us, I'm sorry. Since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God. But if we love each other, God lives in us. And his love is brought to full expression in us. And God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and now testify that the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. All who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them, and they live in God. We know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in his love. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we like no because we live like Jesus here in this world such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear if we are afraid it is for fear of punishment and this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love we love each other because he loved us first amen if someone says i love god but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people, we can see how can we love God, whom we cannot see. And he has given us this command. Those who love God must also love their fellow believers. Amen. Amen. And Ida, we never have to apologize for the emotion that pours out of us because of, of God's word hitting us. And that's a beautiful thing. Never have to apologize for that. I have a familiar tune for you this morning, one that I'm pretty sure you all know, so feel free to sing along. It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? It's a neighborly day in this beauty wood, a neighborly day for a beauty. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? I have always wanted to have a neighbor just like you. I've always wanted to live in a neighborhood with you. So let's make the most of this beautiful day. Beautiful day. Since we're together, we might as well say, would you be mine? Could you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? Won't you please? Won't you please? Please.
please won't you be my neighbor? Won't you please, won't you be my neighbor? Classic, classic song. You know, I've been singing that song for a week in my head and in my home as I'm doing work because I knew what was coming up and I had to find the right video. And so I've been singing that song all week long. Well, today we're starting a new series called Won't You Be My Neighbor? And it's based on the verse in Matthew 22 where Jesus is confronted by the religious leaders and saying, what is the greatest commandment? And this is what he says to them. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all of the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. You see, if we're going to live out the greatest commandment, to love, then we have to grab a hold of love and its meaning. And to do that, we must start with God. Never us, always God. Now, our scripture this morning comes from the Apostle John. And the first church father, first century church father, Jerome, said this about John. When the aged Apostle John was so weak that he could no longer preach, the congregation would carry him into the midst of the people. Little children, he would say, love one another. And when the people could no longer stand his exhortation, the people asked why this one word is what he kept telling them. Why love? Why do you keep telling us to love? To which he would reply, because it is the Lord's commandment, and that is enough. John had a hold of the meaning of love. You cannot read the letters of John and not be convinced that John equates the love of God and love of neighbor as fundamental to any definition of Christianity. And it is within this fundamental definition that we can know and be known by God. And being loved by God and loving God in return means deep, meaningful relationships, which then allows for deep, meaningful relationships with others. Or in other words, how to be a good neighbor. In our text, John makes it clear that love is not an option to believers. Love is the distinguishing mark between believers and the rest of the world. He even says so abruptly that if you don't love, then you don't know God. That's a pretty harsh statement. And that's the standard by which we all must measure the way we live. John introduces that section by reminding his readers that love is the inevitable result of truly knowing God. Not just believing in God, but truly knowing him. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. The conclusion we're to draw here is that the life of God, the Holy Spirit that's imparted to us in our new birth, that moment when we 
repent and accept Jesus as our Savior, that life of God, that Holy Spirit, then manifests itself in our love for others. If we are the children of God, then the one who is love, that's our Father. We will be like him when we love. It reflects back on him. But while loving others is not optional, it's also not automatic. It doesn't just happen. Because John follows up with, Dear friends, since God loved us that much, that much, since he died for you and he loves you that much, you surely ought to love each other. You see, love is something we're always working towards. Love is an area of growth for us as we continually to strive to be like Jesus. But love is a choice. Love is a commitment. Love is an action. We can look to the Ten Commandments to see that. One of the biggest problems facing the early church was their temptation to focus on the law. Not the heart behind the law, just the law. The Pharisees were so meticulous on following the law that they had laws for following the laws. They had missed the very heart behind the law, which was to love. Jesus called them hypocrites. He called them whitewashed tombs. They were people who were outwardly shining. They looked good on the outside, yet they were filled with filth and bad motives. They followed the law to look good before others, not because they loved God. They were looking for a pat on the back. They were looking for special treatment. Hey, look at me. Look at me. Suddenly, the focus of their faith was on them and not on God. Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, reminded his readers of the dangers of doing without love at the center. From 1 Corinthians chapter 3, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, If I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship, that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is supposed to be our motivation, not recognition, not self-interest. Jesus sums up the Ten Commandments into two because that's exactly what they are. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. It sums up all ten. The first four commandments are a result of our love for God. You shall have no other gods before me because you love me. You shall make no idols because you love me. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain because you love me. Keep the Sabbath day holy because you love me. When we love God with all our heart 
and all our soul, all our mind, these commandments become merely a manifestation of our love. We don't have to work at it. They're just a part of our love back for God. And then our love for God becomes the heartbeat, the very center and motivation for obeying all the commandments. But it first requires God to do an inner cleaning, a cleaning that we can't do on our own. See, that's what the Pharisees were missing. They were trying to achieve on their own, and they were missing the love of God in the process. And then they weren't able to understand the command to love your neighbor. Who's my neighbor? What are you talking about, Jesus? And they tried to find loopholes because they couldn't understand love. Never mind who's my neighbor. Loving God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind is a sign of our full devotion to him. Jesus tells us that in the sixth chapter of Luke. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks when the heart, what the heart is full of. Our heart, our soul, and our mind are the central core of who we are. And when we repent and we seek God's forgiveness for our sins, when we accept Jesus as our Savior, we're then gifted and filled with his Holy Spirit. And then when that Holy Spirit comes in and we allow it to rule over our hearts, our souls, and our minds, that's when we become devoted to loving, adoring, and serving the Lord. That is our response to God's love for us. Our response should be a life devoted to him, compelled to live out the other six commandments. Number five, honor your mother and father. Number six, you shall not murder. Number seven, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, and you shall not covet. The commandments are nicely summed up in Jesus' statement to love your neighbor as yourself. But we can't do it if we aren't loving God first. That's why they're set up that way. John tells us, we love each other because God loved us first. Loving God empowers us to love others. When we look at the Ten Commandments as merely do not do statements, we miss the love behind them. When we look at them as don't statements, we then look at them as just things to keep us from evil. But when we look at them from the standpoint of love, suddenly they take on this positive impact of improving and enhancing the life of our neighbors. They're not don't statements. They're really do statements. You want to be a good neighbor. Do this instead. Do this instead. 
we take the shift of focus from ourselves to our neighbor. When we focus on the love, we settle on caring about the betterment of our neighbor, not ourselves. We focus on what we can do to help one another, not ourselves. You see, love helps us understand the real thrust behind the commandments. And it causes us to want to obey them, not just know them, not just be able to recite them, but actually obey them. For example, let's take the sixth commandment, do not murder. It reminds us that life is a precious gift to be valued and respected. Then Jesus took that and amplified the meaning of murder to include bitter animosity, contempt, and hostility towards others. God wants us to go beyond just avoiding murder. He wants us to be builders of good relationships, good neighbors, not destroyers. The seventh commandment to not commit adultery Likewise, it focuses on building relationships, not destroying. Do not steal. It shifts our focus from our own selfish desires to putting giving and serving others first. When we give and serve, we're displaying God's love to the world. Don't bear false witness, don't lie. Respectful and loving relationships can only occur with an honest and truthful foundation. God wants his children to reflect truth and honesty in all they do. Everything. It doesn't matter what the other person does. It doesn't matter what the other person says. You're responsible for your actions before God, not theirs. I don't know about you, but I have enough junk of my own to deal with before God. I don't want to take someone else's. So it doesn't matter what they do. only matters what you do. The Tenth Commandment's like the others. It focuses on relationships. Do not covet. It's about respecting the possessions, the property, and the relationships of others instead of focusing on our desires or our wants. God wants our desire and our concern to be others. Not what they have, who they are is what matters. Each of these Ten Commandments reveals attitudes and actions that show how to love God, how to love our neighbors. And that's why John claims from 1 John chapter 2, if someone claims, I know him well, but doesn't keep his commandments, he's obviously a liar. His life doesn't match his words. But the one who keeps God's word is the person in whom we see God's mature love. This is the only way to be sure we're in God. Anyone who claims to be intimate with God ought to live the same kind of life that Jesus lived. Our love towards others. When we're being a good neighbor, it's an expression of our faith. 
In the book of Galatians, Paul's writing to believers who are falling for this idea that unless they are circumcised, they have no faith, and they're not children of God. Listen to what Paul says in Galatians chapter 5. For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there is no benefit in being circumcised or being uncircumcised. What is important to faith, expressing itself in love. Faith expressed in love. In other words, people will know that you're connected to God by how you treat them. They can't tell whether you're circumcised or not unless you're walking around without pants, okay? But he's saying, but they can know how you treat them. They will know that you're connected to Jesus, not because of the fleshy part of you that's been cut off, but because of the way that you treat them, because you love them. That's how they will know you're connected to Jesus, Love is how our faith is expressed, and it proves that our faith is real and alive. Without love, our faith is dead. That's what James meant when he said that faith without works is dead. The works of love are evidence of our living and active faith. A church without acts of love is dead. A heart without acts of love is dead. It's not filled with the life of of the Holy Spirit. John tells us so in 1 John 3. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him harsh words. When love is absent, faith is dead. No matter what is happening, no matter what you're doing. As we look towards loving our neighbors as ourselves, we must also remember not only are our acts of love an expression of our faith, they're a sign of Jesus himself. Our acts of love are a badge of Christianity. When Jesus was washing his disciples' feet, this is what he said to them. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. We've adopted other ways of trying to show the world that we're Christians. We wear crosses, and we put Jesus' fish and clever bumper stickers on our cars. We share Bible verses on social media. And those are all great things. They're good things. But Jesus says, do you really want to show the world that you're a Christian? Do acts of love. Just love people. Love them the way I do. But Lord, it's so much easier to just put a cross around my neck. It's so much easier to just put that bumper sticker on my car. Acts of love, that might require some extra work. That might require sacrifice. After all, in the opening book of Acts, we see the effects of salvation. We see the effects of the Holy Spirit bringing love to a community. 
Their faith was manifested in their love for one another. They gave to one another. They cared for one another. They helped one another. They supported and they protected one another. They sold their own items so someone else could have. These were the things that were faith expressing itself through love. Love is the sign of Jesus and the church. By this, all people will know that we are his. It's a defining mark. But we're not to keep that to ourselves. We're called to take that love out into the world, not just keep it in here. We're not meant to hold God's love and grace tight to ourselves. Church is not supposed to be a club that makes those on the outside feel unwelcomed. We're commanded to take that love and that grace that God has bestowed upon us and pay it forward to be good neighbors. Why are we commanded to take God's love out there? Why is the church here? For God to be glorified. The church doesn't exist for believers. The church doesn't exist for unbelievers. It exists for the glory of God. And how is he glorified? He's glorified when we worship him with all our heart, soul, and mind. He's glorified when we're so filled up with gratitude over his love for us that we generously pour it out on others. He is glorified when we serve one another, meaning that our wants are set aside for the needs of others. Loving our neighbor is hard. Humans are prickly. We are moody, we're disagreeable, and generally we're pretty unlovable. Face it, we all have issues. And we tend to let it spill out on those around us. Look to the person to your left or right. Say, I have issues. You have issues too. We all have issues. It's okay. We're going to work through it together. Because God tells us to love one another. We're all on a path to become more like Christ. And then we bring glory to God when we take that message of love, that message of acceptance, that message of grace out to a thirsty world. And after that comment about look to your neighbor, I'm thinking we have to do some marriage counseling after service today. (laughs) But how do we take that message out there? How do we take that message out to that thirsty world? We have to run to God first. We need God to help us love God. We need God to reveal to us his love expressed through the life and death of his son, Jesus. That is a love of immense magnitude that we will never understand. But we need to grab a hold of just a piece of it to see the love that God has for us that we need to get out there and share with others. We especially need God to help us love others. We need to be reminded of his love for us displayed on the cross. And let that be our motivation for loving others.
Because if God loved me that much, if God loved you that much, how could we not love others in a way that shines his glory? Jesus said that if you love me, you will obey my commands. And if you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. God's motivation for all things is love. Jesus wants our motivation for all things to be love. Love should permeate through all areas of our life. Paul, in his letter to Colossians in chapter 3, he said, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. When you love that nasty person at work, you're loving Jesus. You're not looking at just the nastiness that's spilled out. You're loving Jesus. And that's what we need to remember as we look at our neighbors. We want to be good neighbors. We need to recognize that our neighbor, when we love them, we're loving Jesus. A common phrase we hear, and I'm guilty of saying it myself, is, oh, I did my good deed for the day. When love motivates and permeates all that we do, it doesn't become an item that we check off our list. It becomes a part of who we are. Jesus came into the world to bring change, to bring transformation. But he didn't do it with an army. He didn't do it through forced rhetoric or hitting people over the head with a Bible or pointing fingers. He came to change the world through love. A searching, surfing, dying to self kind of love. Do we understand that love that level of love, the magnitude of that love, that's the kind of love that people need. It's the kind of love that people need in a friend. It's the kind of love that people need in a neighbor. It's that kind of love that will cause people to ask us, won't you be my neighbor? And that's what it's about. You know, when I first started this series and I started studying and I thought, the, won't you be my neighbor? I thought that was us going out and saying to the people, won't you be my neighbor? And by the time I finished studying, God said, no, you have it wrong. He said, this isn't about that. This is about you being such loving people and going out there that those people out there want to say to you, you're different. You love me. Won't you be my neighbor? That's what it's about. Let us start by praying for opportunities to love. Let us pray with expectation. Let us pray with anticipation that we will respond with acts of love for our neighbors. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your love. I thank you that you loved us so much that you sent Jesus. I know we can't understand the magnitude 
of your love for us, Lord. But help us to see others through your eyes. Help us to love others in the name of Jesus. Help us to be good neighbors. Thank you for Jesus. In his holy and precious name, amen.